Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. My name is Ellen Trackman. I'm here with Jennifer White. Hi, Jen. I feel like that was really formal to thank people in advance. Wow, very nice. Yeah, I feel like we thank them a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Yes, I mean, as we should, because we are very grateful. Yeah, we are grateful. Um, Our get to know you intro topic of the day, Jen, is uh, what or how do you like to waste time or unintentionally waste time? I was going to say, I feel like this is like existential. Like what's the definition of wasting time? That's because fair. I do justify I, it. I was like, oh, I need to relax. You know, it's important to take breaks. I definitely, um, actually, Diana, our stepmom said something recently. Like somebody asked a question about what she's doing. She's like, it's like bubble gum for your brain. And I'm like, I like that. Like, so oh, definitely well, there's some things I've been like, it's like chewing gum, you know, like well, it makes you happy. What bubble gum for your brain? Uh, she was doing like playing one of those like silly games on the on the phone yeah yeah and I think definitely that's like my bubble gum for my brain is either you know playing a stupid like game on my phone or I I read a lot of I read a lot of news and it's not necessarily Mm. like it's news that is real news it's more like gossipy news and not like full gossipy news (laughs) so I I would call it bubble gum news how's that (laughs) that's like how I do that or I don't know like I've definitely like randomly started doing diamond painting which is also like bubble gum for your brain I don't know there's these little gems and you like attach you like attach them to a thing yeah it's totally like bubble gum for your brain so what about you wait 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 I'm still I'm trying to picture this like you buy diamonds and you paint them or you're like an app where you paint them on the app no no it's a real like canvas and it's like these little gems they're not really diamonds but they yeah. you know like colored gems and you like put them in the color in like the uh, spot by number I, I do know what you're talking about yeah yeah okay. i mean it's oh. not anything fancy it's not anything to be like i'm gonna proudly display this as an heirloom you know that, but it's definitely adults? I, I, I found tons of them for adults so yes <laughs> of course of course of course <laughs> uh, okay what about you uh no the usual like games on my phone um sudoku unfortunately a lot of sudoku um i don't know what else are i feel like those are the main ones occasionally okay too many times occasionally i'll do like a where you'll see like the videos and just goes like the next video whether it's tiktok or instagram and it's like oh you just fall down a hole (laughs) i have to like get out of it I, I definitely have to be like I had to like when I first like tried to do any of those like look at TikTok or anything like that I realized I'm like nope I can't with my personality like not keep like looking at the next yeah. random thing so I have to limit my time doing that for sure right um but these are all great things you can do while breastfeeding or pumping sometimes oh, very nice so, yes leading into a very important interview and topic that we are excited to share Welcome back to the podcast, Ashley Moreco. Ashley, we're so excited to have you back again. Before we start, I do want to recommend for those who want to hear more of Ashley's backstory and all her expertise and her advice about surrogacy generally, please, please, please consider checking out episode 76. We are talking about it being from back in 2020, so it's a few years. Um, that episode's called Creating Ohana Through Surrogacy, so please check that out. But today's episode, we're so happy to have Ashley back again, where we are going to be focusing on the topic of surrogacy and breastfeeding. Ashley, welcome back. How are you doing? 
I am so excited to be back. I love you guys. So it's great. Oh, we love you. It's mutual. <laughs> So, so you have to update us on life first. So oh, since yeah. 2020, like what's, what's happened in your life? <laughs> yes, I mean, besides a big old pandemic, you know, that thing. Oh yeah, that, but no. Um, so I completed that third journey, which was July 7th, 2020. I gave birth to that baby. Um, and then recently wow. went into my, Wait, can I ask, I mean, it was mid pandemic. So were there complications of parents getting to the baby, etc.? Oh my gosh, there was. So basically <laughs> it was, they waited till the very end. Um, but they had to quarantine like two weeks in Cambodia mm, and then fly wow. into the U S oh, wow. the US. Um, but during that whole entire time, they actually missed the, the labor by like three days. Uh, um, baby stop stop moving as much the nsts were showing like he was just kind of like chilling out and we was fully baked so we decided it was safest to go into and um to be induced and then be able to you know have him outside so if there was an emergency uh unfortunately that um did not go well with the parents um they didn't understand language barriers cultural barriers so they were really upset with me thinking that I had skipped out on the last like week and a half of labor. <laughs> you know, I had just was reading somebody's medical records with a translator and they were like, no, you promised that the twins would stay in until 34 weeks. And they're like, no, no, we don't promise anything. We try. That's like what we want to aim for. But there was no promise. And you, that you could tell even the medical records that they were like explaining that. No. So I get where that comes from. Oh, it was like on and off Pitocin because they kept like panicking. And I'm like, OK, stop the Pitocin. They're trying to figure out how to get here sooner. And then finally, I just had to tell them, like, look, you're not going to like me. But at this point my responsibility is to your child. And so I'm going to deliver this child and he is going to be healthy. Um, And it took them a while to forgive me um, and understand, but there was a lot of fear. You know, when you're a parent, the unknown is your only embryo. You want to be there for the birth. You know, there were so many things going on. I can see their side, how they handled it was wrong. But um, I actually recently, so update on that one, because I never thought this would happen. I wished them a happy birthday on his third birthday. And the mom reached out and was like, hey, we're coming to California and we want to meet your whole family and we want you to meet him. Oh, I never oh. thought that would happen in my life. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. So is that going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be coming next year and they want to meet up with us. And and so, I mean, I let it be on their terms. And obviously we would be, you know, I don't know what they're telling him. And if it's just a stranger, it'll be really cool. Yeah. Here's a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So that one was the whole whirlwind. Um, And then I have to hear that they were mad at you when you're just doing your best to protect your health and the baby's health. Oh, it was it was incredibly difficult to the point of like the doctors had stopped communication with the parents because my blood pressure was so high. Oh, wow. Do a C-section if you if your if your blood pressure doesn't lower. And I was like, I've never had a C-section. I never had an epidural. I even thought about an epidural at that point because I was like, I'm in pain. Um, But in the end, it all worked out. And I did call them. I had my husband call them for the birth because I don't feel like no matter what they said to me or how they were feeling, like, I don't care. That's the birth of their child. And so we recorded, we videoed them and recorded everything so that they could have the right time. They could see their child be born. And then we just kind of stopped communication. Um, 
they ended up reaching out to get help with the birth certificate and how to like set up a car seat a couple of days later. And I was fine with that. Like, I'm such a sucker. <laughs> so it was right. like, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I stuck in this to grow your family. And if I, it was a lot of soul searching of like, am I doing this to help a family or was I doing it for my own self needs? And so I had to kind of put my needs down and like, just help complete it so that I could rest and know that like, I did what I did and we're good. <laughs> Wow. That's amazing. And so then like you were a little traumatized by that, right? Like emotionally. Oh, so yeah. what happens next in, in our catch up session here? <laughs> I retire and I'm like, I'm never doing surrogacy again. That was a really bad experience, you know? And then my intended mother from the first two journeys calls and is like, Hey, so I think I can handle one more. And I thought, Oh my God, I love you. And she's so amazing and so loving and kind. And she's never shown any type of jealousy. And it's just been an amazing relationship that I kind of felt like, I don't know if I could find you the match that I feel you need, you know, like how am I supposed to get? And so I told her, okay, I will do it. Um, And we, we had a beautiful journey, um, amazing experience. And, and, um, and little Miles is here. So that was the first one that I officially got to name. I've given, you know, input. Oh, but they had you name the baby? Yeah, the last one. Wow. You know, Miles. Um, and come to find out that's like actually my uncle's middle name who, you know, has helped raise me. So I didn't realize that when I named him and I went back home and they were like, did you do that for your uncle Shelton? And I was like, oh, I didn't even know. But what a great way to circle that, you know, surrogacy life. <laughs> yeah. That is very cool. Yeah. So that one happened back on April 19th or 18th. You know, like after you've had six children, you don't even remember your own children's birthday. Oh, no. I don't even remember my own birthday most of the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're back in Taiwan now and we plan to go see them as a family. Um, obviously, um, when it's not so humid, like the best time of the year. So probably next year in like August. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we've got caught up now, but yeah. that wasn't actually why we, we had no. you come on. Um, cause we actually want to talk about some, a unique component of your journey that, and I think you admitted it up front that some people feel squeamish about, yeah. you know, talking about, but I mean, I, I'll lead you there and I'll just let you, you go from here. How's that? Yeah, of course. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, breastfed three of my four surrogate babies. Um, and and not just in the hospital um the type of relationship that we had built um and my intended mother stayed with us for at least a week to like two weeks depending on the journey um and so i was able to help her with her first child and you know get her into the mommy zone um while also she was able to bring that baby down to me and latch on and um, and we did that for about, you know, at least a week to two weeks. And then I continued to pump while we got all her documentation and she had moved back into like California area. So it was one of the most amazing experiences. That's so start from like further back in that. Cause I think again, you know, like I said, we all acknowledge that for some people they're like, no way, this is a horrible thing. You know, like, and they, there's a lot of fears and misconceptions around it. Yeah. Where did you guys start even? How did you start there? Did it, was it an early conversation you had the whole time? Did the first time, did it happen just by default and naturally? How, how did it evolve to where you, where you ended up? So in our match meeting, we did discuss that I was open to anything. Um, I just, I feel that, you know, 
fed babies are best babies, right? And so Mm -hmm. I let them know that I was open to nursing, pumping, um, whatever they needed. If they ended up needing formula, we weren't sure how my milk was going to come in. I had always been a, you know, I always breastfed my children um, and pumped a little, but my supply wasn't the best, you know? And so um, I let them know that ahead of time, like, I'm okay, you know, nursing, if you want the colostrum, you know, and as we developed our relationship towards the end, she had, we talked about it more and she felt like it would be the best interest of the baby. And for myself, if we could have baby latch on in the hospital and um, be able to get my milk to come in, you know, quicker so we could have a bigger supply of milk for baby. And that way we knew like not one drop of the colostrum was being wasted. And I was okay with that. Um, it really felt to me like just one more part of my surrogacy journey of being able to help him be fed on the outside. Um, and so I was comfortable. Obviously we were worried about, I was worried about like, will she be, will there be jealousy, will there be insecurities? I never wanted my intended mother to feel less than a mother. I looked at her, that was her baby. Um, and she had the most beautiful heart to like, I never saw any jealousy. Sometimes she, we sat on the bed together. She would, you know, rub his foot or pet his hair or hold his hand. Sometimes I felt him alone. You know, sometimes she, you know, would, would have me pump because baby may have not been hungry and then fed him later. But we really just had this beautiful relationship. And I always was aware of not wanting her to feel any type of insecurity. And she was on the, you know, the lookout of like, this is my baby. This is what's best for my baby. I want him to have colostrum. I want to have breast milk. And she, it was a good like closure, I think, for me. I didn't deal with any postpartum depression with those babies. I didn't, nice. you know, have any obviously sad that the surrogacy ended, but it was kind of nice to spend a little bit of time with the little guy on the outside. Yeah. And I mean, let's talk about some of the fears. I feel like many yeah. people choose not to go that route because they're really worried about on the surrogate side, especially. Um, becoming too attached, having that transition with baby going home being too hard. So oh, yeah. you're for you, you didn't feel that way. You felt it was actually helpful, it sounds like. I felt that at the time they went home, I was ready for them to go home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I grew my babies. I had my complete family and I love babies, right? Everybody loves babies, but I don't want any more babies for myself. And so for me, it was nice to have that little like auntie time and get to see them and, you know, realize they're little humans on the outside and they've got their little personalities. But in all honesty, I was exhausted, you know, Mm. having having to pump or having to, you know, baby to come and nurse. And then in the middle of the night, I mean, I remember one night I was so exhausted. She just kind of made sure to hold baby there for me. (laughs) Nice. So I, I had not signed up for a newborn, but I was willing to do what needed to be done for us to complete our surrogacy. Yeah. And was it kind of transitional too? Were you also pumping? Was there formula? Was there bottle, bottle feeding as part of it? Yeah. So I did pump every chance I could get so we could build up a supply, but also for mom to, um, you know, to, to be able to feed baby too. Um, and so we did make sure she still had, you know, feeding times with, with breast milk. Um, we did supplement a little as we were ending that first week, just so I could get enough of a supply to ship to her in California. Um, and so we, we did, we did do it that way. The first time she was, um, 
pregnant. So I don't know if you guys remember the story, but basically she got pregnant. The boys are three weeks apart. And, um, and that was natural after like five years of IVF. (laughs) And so she probably appreciated being like eight months pregnant and, and having that help too. So that's how we got into it with the first one. And then after that, we just kind of continued it. Um, this last time was amazing because she brought, she brought, uh, one of her sons back to, to California with her to come when Miles was born. And so I remember feeding Miles and, um, and Nelson coming up and being like, uh, baby eat, you know? And I'm like, yeah, baby's milk. He's like, milk's in there. And I'm like, yeah, milk's in there. He's like, wow. You know, like, so he got to, there was no weirdness about it. There was no intimacy or secretiveness. It was just like, Auntie Ashley grows us and she feeds us before we go home. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say like my perspective from like the narrow, you know, slice of this world I see is that this is probably not the most common. It's pretty unique to have that. And from your perspective, working with an agency, working with so many surrogates, do you have an idea of kind of how frequent it is that a surrogate might breastfeed directly, how frequent it is that she might just pump and how often is it they're doing a surrogate's doing neither? Yeah. So here's the crazy thing. Um, I see more breastfeeding in the hospital from our Asian families. They Hmm. will request it. Um, And I, I don't understand it, but most times they will ask, like, are you comfortable with breastfeeding? Are you comfortable with nursing baby? We want baby to have the colostrum. Um, and how are it. surrogates responding to that? Are most open to it or some yeah. open? I would say 75% are open to it. You know, there is that fear of like, am I going to get attached or is this going to be harder? But what I see from those surrogates who do is they say it was like an easier closure. Um, because a lot of times when we give birth, interesting, you, we may only hold the baby for a few minutes or, you know, there's this awkward of like, that's your baby. I don't want to take any of your time away. Your baby was just born. Um, yeah. But there's something about being able to hold them and look at them and be like, wow, you've got 10 little fingers and 10 little toes. <laughs> you were the person who like, you know, jabbed your feet into my rib cage and like, you know, like oh, you were dancing on my bladder. <laughs> and just getting to see them as their little humans outside of the womb is is pretty cool to kind of get that and and to be able to say goodbye. Um, I know yeah. my third journey, the one that the parents weren't available because it ended on a bad note. Um, I was allowed to go to the like nursery for a few minutes and I went in for like 15 minutes, but the nurses are watching me and they're deciding if, you know, is this an unhealthy, you know, reaction? Like you can, I'm in like this cage where there's glass and they can see me and I'm wanting. So I just prayed over him and wished him the best of luck. And, but that really affected me not to be able to have that closure with the parents and, and the baby, not so much in the breastfeeding, but just the time that was spent. Um, I think for me being able to spend that little bit of time with the family also relieved the feelings of not feeling like a commodity, you know, Mm. that, that our friendship was real, that what we grew during the journey was genuine and that, um, and that now that part of our life was over, but that, you know, that they'd still, they still looked at me as a friend or, you know, as someone that they cared about. Um, I don't need the center of attention, but I think the helping of the breastfeeding and spending time with the family after really did heal my heart and prepare me to have an easier transition back into the world of like mom and, you know, agency and stuff. 
Yeah, and just logistically, the fact that you guys were living together for that oh, yeah. week afterwards, that, that seems pretty unique as well. I have not seen that, um, but I'm definitely... <laughs> I am definitely the, the oddball, um, you know, growing up in Hawaii, like I just, we had this sense of community and I felt like I did not want my intended mother to be out in the world and possibly taken advantage of by, you mm-hmm. know, by car services or the hotel staff or, or anyone. Um, her first journey, she spoke very little English. We communicated a lot through WeChat and memes. Um, <laughs> the universal language, yes. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many, how how much of a connection we had from those. But I didn't want her getting taken advantage of, and I felt like um, she would be safest here, where we could make sure that we could go to the grocery store and get food. And she was a first time mom, and I couldn't imagine being a first time mom and eight months pregnant. And and so hey, we're family. Like we grew a human together. The least I can do is let you stay in our extra bedroom for a week. (laughs) Yeah. Does she have a spouse or partner involved? She does. Um, Unfortunately, with, you know, the amount of surrogacies we've done, he's pretty busy with work. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) I did get to meet him and culturally, um, you know, he did not come over for the for the deliveries, but I did get to meet him in person. And he was the cutest like happy-go-lucky you know man um just so friendly and so in love with his children and Mm. um watching him you know that was my fear like okay well who's this man who's not coming you know but I got to meet him on the phone and then when we met him in China he was just like a a jungle gym to the children like they loved him and he spent time with them and played with them it was really amazing to see but on the birthing side he left that to mom (laughs) So you having a unique experience is awesome to hear about. Are you able to share kind of what it looks like with other experiences with surrogates you've worked with, for example, who choose the pumping route? Yeah, definitely. Um, pumping is hard. It, it's mm-hmm. extremely hard. So we actually have um, personally in, in with, with my company, we do have a doula. Um, we have a... Um, we have a lactation consultant who helps either intended parents induce lactation or attempt to induce lactation and then also help with the surrogate. So if a surrogate's having trouble um, producing enough milk, um, we will will set her up with the lactation consultant. But we also make sure to like let the parents know too, like, it's okay. I recommend them recording the baby crying so that she can hear that to help induce lactation. Um, but it's definitely, pumping is hard work. And I'm going to be mm-hmm. honest, you know, when I was going through it, it was like $250 a week or something, but you're pumping like every two hours to get that supply up. Right. And, and then you have to wash everything and then you have to, you know, sterilize everything and then you have to package everything. Yeah, and I, I'm okay breastfeeding. Cause I was like, no bottles to wash. Go ahead and lap that baby. On. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, as one who my child would never latch, but I felt like it was really important. Like I exclusively pumped and fed my child. And I was like, whenever people are talking about like, yeah, it's no big deal. I don't mind pumping. And I'm like, Oh, it's so exhausting though. <laughs> I just have this like sense memory of how exhausting that was. I can't imagine that because if you had to pump and then feed, You've already like every two hours and it's taking an hour to like pump, wash, clean, then you're feeding, which Mm -hmm. takes more. You, so you weren't sleeping. Uh, No, 
No, I wasn't. And at the time I was also moving to Germany. So, you know, I, I just didn't sleep at all. So <laughs> I also have a really amazing partner. So I'll just, I'll just throw that out there. So you were like, yeah, he's holding on while you're like taking a nap. He's like, I'll hold this. Basically. Yeah, that's exactly right. So. Yeah, no, I've seen some, I've seen some difficulties with the, with, with the pumping, you know, for, for our surrogates, especially if they had a C-section or, um, if they're going back to work quickly, um, it is difficult. I, we do have like recommendations for pumps and things like that, but it's a lot of work that a surrogate puts in to pump for this baby, you know, but I feel like we all, we all want to do what's best. We, we spent the nine months to grow them. We want to try to give them the best start possible. Yeah. yeah. And do you see a lot of like shipping? I mean, it can be complicated logistically if the intended parents don't live near the surrogate. And so they're looking at like pretty expensive and complicated shipping. Yeah. Pre pre COVID when, you know, UPS and FedEx were more reliable. Um, I was overnighting through, through like FedEx. I would go at the last like 5 PM pickup. So I'd get there right before 5 PM and I would take this box and, you know, and one of those little foam coolers from Walmart, pack it all up. And it would get to my intended mother from Vegas to like California by like 12 o'clock the next day in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So everything was frozen and fine. But now it's so unreliable that we've had to go to more professional um, to more like of a, you know, stork where they yeah. have, the, you know, they, they specialize in sending breast milk. Um, the other thing we do is if a surrogate cannot produce milk or she's too far away, there's this amazing network of agencies where I can reach out on a professional group and ask, does anyone have, you know, a surrogate who is pumping right now and the parents aren't you know, interested in, in the milk that's near, you know, North California. And I've been connected before and gotten parents over a thousand, 2000 ounces from another agency surrogate. And knowing that the surrogates have been, you know, drug tested, background checked, they've went through all their paneling, you know, the psyche valves, like it's probably the safest breast milk I feel on the market. You know, so it's, yeah. so it's really amazing to see how the surrogacy community and those you know, agencies are willing to help each other and help their intended parents, even if it's not your own intended parent. That you talked about inducing lactation. Like, yes. do you have any, I mean, I know you're not a lactation consultant or anything like that, but talk a little bit about that. Cause I think for some people they're like, wait, what? That's a thing. I've definitely had parents go, wait, that's possible. So just throw that out there for, for people who might not know that that's possible if you didn't carry that you can do that yeah there's a couple things so with the inducing of lactation um obviously that would need to be over you know under your doctor's you know watch um but what i found is that our lactation consultants will help them to prepare with making sure they're taking the right vitamins there is a medication um and i, I could be wrong but it's something about like almost like a birth control pill where it helps with the hormones to be able to to produce. And it's a long journey. Um, one mm-hmm. of our lactation consultants recommends starting when, when the pregnancy starts. And so starting with exercises wow. of like nipple stimulation and, and suction and, and pumping and the, and everything. And little by little, you get drops and drops and drops. But I've had intended parents be able to be pumping ounces by the time their baby is born and they latch wow. the baby on at birth. 
Um, the other thing that I've seen is when some women are having trouble with the lactation um, of, of producing, or also maybe another parent who can't, there are, um, there are these like, uh, what is it, like a pouch with a very small straw that can be taped to your nipple so that you can do you know, create more, or if you can't produce, maybe you were a cancer patient and you can't have those hormones um, that are needed for the inducing of lactation, you can then still breastfeed your child and it's, and the milk's being supplied by that pouch. So you get that closeness and that one-on-one -on -one and being able to look at your child and, you know, close up and you're still feeding baby and baby's still getting, you know, quality breast milk. Um, even if you can't supply it yourself. Yeah. That's great to have those options. When people first approach you and they're not really sure, especially intended parents, what direction to go, who do they start with? Do they start to, to talk to you about these options? Um, normally our, you know, like our IP educators and intended parent educators. And so we'll talk about different options um, that, you know, there's formula. We always want to be able to explain that like there is no shame and there's no judgment in whatever they choose, right? It's their baby. Yeah. It's also their journey. And so they need to be comfortable and never be forced into anything. And so we explain the, the different options of, you know, formula, um, nursing in the hospital, pumping, um, whatever, you know, inducing lactation. And we'll kind of see a lot of parents aren't aware that you can induce lactation or that it's a possibility. Some are concerned about the nine months. Um, some are excited and feel like that makes them more closer to the baby and the pregnancy because every time they pump, you know, they're thinking about their child every time they have to go through the exercises, they're thinking of their child. And, and so some feel like it's, it's a way to, to be closer to that, you know, to their child during that pregnancy. Um, others are more like, Hey, we're looking at formula, you know, maybe it's the cost. Maybe they know that the time and the efforts of the surrogate, maybe the surrogate is not comfortable with pumping. We do allow all of our surrogates to make that decision, right? If you're comfortable mm -hmm. with pumping, nursing, um, you know, whatever it is. And some women are saying, Hey, I tried pumping and I don't produce anything. And so we'll come up with a backup plan if they're willing to try to create milk. Um, and then also, you know, with the formula, but we kind of just give everybody, we believe that if we give everybody the information and the education, the resources, they're all full grown adults. And so we'll support whatever decision they make. Yeah. Have you seen any kind of bumps in the road or um, situations where it didn't go well that kind of provide lessons to be learned? Yeah, um, really explaining to in the intended parents that, hey, it's not guaranteed that she's going to be able to produce enough milk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes, you know, I think we think, ah, oh, it's a, you know, she's a surrogate. She grew the baby healthily. She's going to be able to have milk. But sometimes our bodies don't react well to that. Um, and so I've seen that. Uh, the other side of it is, is when an intended parent, I've seen the struggles of a surrogate when she is going to pump and the parents ask for only a week or two of milk. It right. is incredibly hard to get our, our supply up and then to be cutting that off um, is really difficult. It, you know, you can go through a lot of pain. This last surrogacy, I got mastitis at the very end because... Mm. Um, I, w I weaned too quickly um, so that I could get to the seeds conference. Oh, <laughs> oh <no>. ironically. <laughs> so I ended up having to go with an antibiotic, you know, medication during the, the conference. I was like, dang it. <laughs> but so I know we asked to give two, at least two weeks of 
of warning for weaning time because as I like to say, as I crassly like to say, we are not faucets. You know, we can't just turn that on and off. Of course. And I see, I see the hurt, you know, I've seen surrogates, their hearts have hurt. Like I've worked so hard to get the supply up and I want to be able to help you and, you know, and then, you know, get a a short notice, right? Like, oh, it's okay. You know, they may continue to, to pay that, that fee, but you know, the surrogates aren't doing it for the, the, you know, that small fee they're doing it because they want to, you know, make sure that they they're helping the parents um, and the baby. So I've seen that happen. Um, I've seen, you know, mastitis, I've seen clogged ducts when you're pumping, you know, it seems to be a higher chance of the clogged ducts um, than when, when a child's actually latching on. Um, And I've also seen where people have agreed to everything of like, Hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have you pump and then you get to delivery and they're like, never mind, we're just gonna do formula. And that's hard because the surrogate may have prepared herself to to purchase the pumps and you know everything. And obviously it's reimbursed, but it's the mindset of going into it, like, okay, I'm gonna pump. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen that kind of on that side of it. I've also seen the parents on the side of like, maybe she's not able to produce enough milk. Um, and they thought, you know, they had pre-planned that they were gonna have milk for six months. So it's all about like helping with the expectations, understanding the ups and the downs and, and what can happen. And sometimes surrogates will have to go on a medication after, after labor, maybe they had to be on a hypertension med and, you know, and it might, it might not be safe to pump. And so both of the parties are disappointed. And I think it's just about supporting them and not shaming them and letting them know they're not alone. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Um, this is such an important topic that I feel like is not talked about enough. So we are incredibly grateful for you to come and share your experience and share, share your expertise on the topic. Um, and we hope that this, you know, people will find this episode and it'll open the, the door for more questions and deeper conversation on the topic. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I just want people to know it's not, it's not this like secretive, like hide in the closet. I'm trying to steal the baby when I, when I nurse my surrogate babies, you know, I think people think like she's going to be so, you know, tied to those babies and, and that baby's connection with her. And I can tell you my oldest surrogate babies are seven. Um, We've got seven, five, three and three months. And um, they just treat me like an aunt, you know, the, the ones I'm in contact with, like there's nothing, there's nothing different. They love their mama. They know their mom and their dad and they, they love them and they definitely treat me differently. They like to mess with me. Um, (laughs) you know, and this, this last time, um, one of the boys said, Auntie Ashley, how come you have blue eyes and I have brown eyes? And they're starting to realize my role. And I said, well, because Auntie Ashley only grows you mommy and daddy put you in my tummy to grow you. And so you don't get any of Auntie Ashley stuff. That's why Auntie Ashley's white and, you know, blue eyes. And he's like, oh, man, I like blue eyes. And I just thought he wasn't, you know, super attached to me. It was a very healthy relationship. And I think we're seeing in more studies that these children coming from surrogacy, they're not broken. Their psyche is not, you know, affected like. They have great homes with parents who have sacrificed so much to get them here, you know, time and efforts and many losses and and things like that. And so these babies are going to homes that love them and they're okay years later, whether Auntie Ashley nursed them or not, you know? (laughs) Right. Oh, I love it. 
Well, thank you so much. Any parting thoughts? I, no. say, I feel like we did great. I was like, I'm like, I feel like that was perfect. Like that these are such loved children, <laughs> no matter how they are fed, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's my parting thought is that like, no matter how you go into the surrogacy, be open to the options and understand they may not all be, you know, available. Things may come up and everyone is trying to do the best job they can do for that baby. And as parents, there should be no shame in what you decide. If you're not comfortable with nursing, then that's fine. That doesn't make you any less of a parent. Doesn't mean that you don't love your baby any less. Like this is your journey too. And I would hate for someone to be shamed into a forced of inducing lactation. Maybe that's not something you can do feasibly in your life. And that doesn't make you less of a mom. You know, you are still amazing. And if your baby's formula fed, there are still genius formula babies. There's genius Mm -hmm. breastfeeding babies, you know, like I think we need to lay down that shame and, you know, intended mothers are going through so much that I couldn't imagine not carrying my own child. And then the fear of like, oh my gosh, and then she's going to nurse my baby. Um, but it's about what's comfortable to you. And, and this might be out of line and you can totally let me know, but mm-hmm. mental health is so important. And, and mm-hmm. so even going through this journey, I recommend for intended parents and surrogates to speak on a regular basis with a mental health professional who understands surrogacy so that you can work through these things and figure out what boundaries are comfortable for you and what you envision and understanding that, you know, expectations can be disappointments waiting to happen. And so just being free flowing on that, but also respecting, you know, their hearts at the end of the day, I think that parents are amazing. Um, Obviously, if there were no intended parents, I would have never got to experience the most amazing parts of my life. And so I'm super thankful to my intended parents through their through their hurt and their pain. I got to just I mean, I got to watch little humans be born, you know, and so. Um, yeah, just, and that's definitely not out of line. We we are fully supportive and feel yes, mental health is mental such a key. So important part of all of this for everyone and we've been really lucky to have some great mental health professionals come on as well so listeners check out those episodes too yes please do you guys have an amazing podcast and i thank you so much for for being a voice in this community but also you guys you know the fact that you are um ethical and educated and i know from you know um, experiencing my interactions with with jen that you you're in this field for the right reasons and I appreciate having a podcast like this where we can talk about these different, you know, difficult things. And, and it's a safe environment to be able to share these, these items and ideas and, and opinions. And so I'm thankful for you guys' podcast. Aww. And we're thankful for you. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience with us. Of course. Take care. And hopefully in a couple of years, I'll get to share something else. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you, Ashley, for joining us. We're always so appreciative how much you put yourself out there and share. And, um, you know, even knowing that sometimes issues can be controversial or people can have very differing opinions, um, being brave and putting them out there for people to discuss, knowing how important they are. Exactly. And Ashley is just a delightful human being. If you ever like talk to her outside of podcast world, just a really nice human. So we appreciate her. Yes. Um, Also, we appreciate all of you for all of your support. Please head to our Facebook page, 
um, give us a call 303-997-1903 and leave us a message. Um, we also, as always, appreciate if you head to iTunes, leave us a review or click the little stars things. But most of all, thank you to our team, to Melissa, to Amanda. And of course, thank you to you for coming and listening.